Hey there, and welcome to Shadow Facts. That's facts as in horse treat-sized pieces of information, a podcast about Lord of the Rings. But only the horse parts. I'm Joey. And I'm Caitlin. And And this this is is our oath. oath. We vow to discuss every horse mentioned or visible in both the Lord of the Rings books and film adaptations, and we do mean every. We vow to rank every horse seen above. We vow to rewrite one of Tolkien's songs per episode to be about horses, live on the pod. And we vow to answer the call of Gondor when the beacon is lit. By which we, of course, mean answer your questions about Lord of the Rings horses to the best of our ability. Here we are once again, coming to you Here live from Middle Earth. Uh, we're gonna be talking about the last section of Fellowship of the Ring, horse by horse, except except Caitlin. How many horses would you estimate oh. are in this section between book and movie? Like on a scale of one <laughs> to ideal. I'd say it's a one. Uh, wow. So not not a lot of horses I'm hearing. No, no. In fact, um, if I was to, uh, you know, apply a more scientific edge to it, I would say that in the movie there are, in fact, no fucking horses. Not a single <laughs> fucking horse on the screen in the entire movie. Zero horses. There's wow. some, luckily, there's some horse adjacent things and there's lots of yearning so yeah that will... yes what we lack in horses we make up for in gay moments and there are this episode there are a few horses in the book i'm sure we'll we'll <laughs> i'm sure we have two hours worth of stuff to talk about <laughs> horses or not so we're still gonna kind of work our way through this chronologically at wherever it starts. Yeah, where do so where did we leave off? We left off like we right left at off the end with of tragedy. Oh god, yeah, like right at the end of Moria. Yeah, Gandalf has just been lost to the abyss in Moria and they're all mourning and crying and it's just devastating and then they like start moving again. And head into the forest mm-hmm. to Lothlorien. To Lothlorien. In the book, um, this takes a little bit longer. There's, like, some dwarf lake that they look into, and it's kind of weird and magical, and... I actually already have my first thing I want to... Uh, but, yeah. but, one, but one thing, really oh, fast. actually, wait. I have something from literally, like, the second paragraph. Oh, please, please go ahead. Okay. Aragorn is saying some stuff. As he does. <laughs> and then... He turns to the company and says, we must do without hope. Yeah. And I just, I, look, like, I'm not qualified to 
I don't know, speak on this or whatever. I think in the world we exist in and like conversations about like optimism and positivity culture and things, I found this moment pretty powerful Mm -hmm. for them to like sort of explicitly say like, we don't have hope, but we're continuing anyways. And like, you can be, I don't know that there can be like other motivators. That's a a thread that a filament that like runs throughout the book. Like I'm reminded of actually from the last segment or two segments ago, because it's still during the council of Elrond where like, there's the conversation about the difference between despair and folly and like, despair can only be reserved for like when like you know for certain that there are no other options and how infrequently that is yeah friendship ended with individual despair and hopelessness community anger is my best friend now yep yeah okay what's what's your thing okay so after this like horrible experience in moria and the breaking of the fellowship through like this really tragic death they come out the other side, and for Gimli, it's this important moment to see the mirror there. Like, this beautiful lake that is really important to dwarves. And mm-hmm. they, they stop and look over it. As you said, it's a little weird. Um, for me, on page 325, they stooped over the dark water. At first, they could see nothing. Then slowly, they saw the forms of the encircling mountains mirrored in a profound blue, and the peaks were like plumes of white flame above them. Beyond, there was a space of sky. There, like jewels sunk in a deep, sunk in the deep, shone glinting stars, though sunlight was in the sky above. Of their own stooping mm. forms, no shadows could be seen. Um, and Gimli says, you know, something about the place and leaves. And Pippin and Sam, who had accompanied him, accompanied him. Pippin says, "What did you see?" To Sam. But Sam was too deep in thought to answer, um, which is just a very yeah. small moment. And actually, it, right, it is. It's not Pippin who accompanies him. It's Frodo and Sam. Pippin asks Sam, like, when they are returning, ah. what he saw. And and this is, to me, our first gay moment in this, which is that Gimli says, Come with me, Frodo. I would not have you go without seeing Khaled Zaram. Frodo followed slowly, drawn by the still blue water, in spite of hurt and weariness, Sam came up behind. And this happens later on in this section, too, where someone beckons Frodo, and Sam follows. Yeah. And it's just sweet. I love Book Sam as someone who, like, you can you can really see all, like all the members of the fellowship being like touched and changed by their experiences. But I feel like you especially see it in Sam. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's my next moment is about uh, the tenderness with which Aragorn cares for the hurt hobbits in like the next page or two. Oh yeah, you're next then. B- batter up, take a swing. Yeah, it's just. So, like, Frodo was, like, wounded, right? They don't even, in the book, mm-hmm. they don't even know that he was wearing Mithril yet. Um, like, it was revealed in the movie, like, in the moment after he gets, like, hit in Moria. But in the book, mm-hmm. they don't know yet. They just know that he was miraculously, like, not killed. But he's all, like, battered and bruised. And, oh, and Sam is also hurt. Um, like, Lost yeah, realizes, yeah, that they've been, like, falling behind and... And Aragorn, like, comes back and is like, oh, no, like, I'm so sorry that I 
didn't, you know, wasn't taking care of you. And then they, like, rest by a stream, and he, like, you know, gives Sam, like, heated water and and some of the Athelas leaves and, like, strips, like, Frodo's old jacket and tunic off and sees the, the mithril. And I, it's just a really lovely, like, I don't know. He's very tender. Yeah. Um, and they just like care about each other and Yeah. And it, it is it's, good. It's nice. I loved I love soft Aragorn. Yeah. It's good. So much has happened this day and we have need we have such need of haste that I've forgotten that you were hurt, and Sam too. You should have spoken. We have done nothing to ease you as we ought. Yeah. Though all the orcs of Moria were after us. Yeah. Ugh. It's good. It's so good. Um, next, I have the page after this. And this is this is just a very small little thing that I wanted to point out, which is that it's the first night they're trying to like sleep after their flight from Moria, and they know they're being pursued, so everyone's a little jumpy. They think they hear something behind them. And Gimli says he hears only the night speech of plant and stone, which I really like. Mm. The night speech of plant and stone. Yeah. It's good. This is also in, so in the film, um, Frodo, like, realized Gollum was following them in Moria and had a conversation with Gandalf about it. That does not happen in the book. Frodo just starts noticing Gollum, like, at this point. Yeah, the the pacing of the realization that Gollum is behind them is is so different. Like, in the book, it's spread out very slowly among several encounters, all of which are, like, quite creepy. Yeah. Yeah, and then they reach, like, not quite, like, actual Lothlorien, but um, they're kind of, like, on the edge of it. The outskirts, yeah. Nimrodel, the river is there, and Legolas, like, sings a song about it. And then, and then this is, I I love, when Haldir and the other elves appear, Legolas is so startled, he, like, falls out of the tree that he had been climbing. <laughs> yeah. uh, for me, yeah, it's on he, he 333, so. It's 3.56 for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Darrow, it said in a commanding tone, and Legolas dropped back to the earth in surprise and fear. He shrank against the bowl of the tree. Uh, the the character of, like, this encounter in Lothlorien is so different between book and film also. Like, it's not like they're immediately, you know, welcomed with open arms in the book, mm-hmm. but it's much less sort of sinister and hostile than it is in the film like i love when when legolas falls he says stand still he whispered to the others do not move or speak there was a sound of soft laughter over their heads and then another clear (laughs) voice spoke in an elven tongue (laughs) they say that you breathe so loud that they could shoot you in the dark but they say also that you need have no fear they have been aware of us for a while they heard my voice across the nimmerdell and knew that I was one of their northern kindred, and therefore they did not hinder our crossing, and afterwards they heard my song. Now they bid me yeah, climb up with Frodo, for they seem to have ha- to have had some tidings of him and our journey. Um, and Sam, again, follows Frodo up the tree. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a package deal, you know? Yeah. You get one, you get the other. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I do, that's an, an element of the books that I enjoy, is kind of like... There's the excitement on the elves' part of kind of the reuniting of these two different 
not sex isn't the correct word, but, like, these two different, like, groups of yeah. elvish people who, like, aren't necessarily in contact. Like, the, like, joy there is very good. So they sleep, they spend the night sleeping in a flat, which is, like, a very perilous little treehouse. And this is where we get another golem sighting. So they're, they're, they're sleeping oh, yeah. up in this platform in the tree, which most of the party finds not very comfortable. And Frodo, who's awake at some point in the night, um, sees these like lamp-like eyes moving at the bottom of the tree and hears something trying to climb it. And then Haldir um, approaches and kind of scares him away. Yeah. Also, Sam yeah. makes some good like tree puns about falling. Oh, yeah. He says, once I do get to sleep, said Sam, I shall go on sleeping whether I roll off or no. And the less said, the sooner I'll drop off if you take my meaning. Because he's trying to get them to shut up so he can sleep. Great, Sam. I, I care him. Let Sam sleep. Let, he deserves it. Let Sam sleep. Everyone has had a hard fucking couple of days. They all deserve, like, a good nap. Yeah. They have lots of... I Just the descriptions of, like, the forest as they move through it and, like, their responses to it are beautiful. Yeah, like, Tolkien... Like, I definitely think that, like, one of his writing strengths is, like, describing the natural world in a really evocative and effective way. Absolutely. On 361 and 362 in my edition, where they say, like, okay, this is where I have to blindfold Gimli. Yeah, the the party's, like, negotiation about that and, like, the response to it is really good. Right. Haldir and his brothers, who I don't think really are in the i mean i guess there's like there's two other anyways haldir and the other elves are like we will take you to the lord and lady of the forest but like um it goes against tradition that the dwarf is here we'll have to blindfold him he can't look upon the route and and see the forest and the company's immediate reaction is no that's that's not gonna fly first first gimli is like Absolutely stubborn not. about it. Like he says, I will go forward free or I will go back and seek my own land. Which I think is a pretty, f- honestly, is a fair reaction to this. <laughs> yeah. And then when it's gonna like come to blows, then Aragorn is like, we'll all be blindfolded, even Legolas. And then Gimli says, I will be content if only Legolas here shares my blindness. Well, and also, hold on, before Aragorn steps in, Legolas is getting salty with Gimli and says, a plague on dwarves and their stiff necks. And then Legolas gets mad about the prospect of himself being blindfolded. He says, I am an elf and kinsman here, said Legolas, becoming angry in his turn. And Aragorn immediately claps back with, now let us cry a plague on the stiff stiff necks of elves. Yeah. And then they all, they are all blindfolded um, for at least a little bit before word comes eventually that Gimli can walk freely. Yeah. Right? That happens at some point. Yes. Yeah. They get a message from, from the Lord and Lady. Oh, some really sad like Ottergorn moments yeah. of like he's looking at stuff and he he says at some point so this was interesting because I especially when the movies first came out was so like frustrated with the scenes of like 
Aragorn sort of having like these visions of Arwen where they like whisper to each other in Elvish, which hasn't happened much in the movie yet. Yeah. I think we'd get to more of them in the future. Um, but it does say here, like Frodo is watching Aragorn and it says he was wrapped in some fair memory. And as Frodo looked at him, he knew that he beheld things as they once had been in this same place. For the grim years were removed from the face of Aragorn, and he seemed clothed in white, a young lord tall and fair, and he spoke words in the elvish tongue to one whom Frodo could not see. Arwen Vanimelda Namarie, he said, and then he drew a breath, and returning out of his thought, he looked at Frodo and smiled. Yeah, that touches upon something really interesting, which we see kind of strung throughout this section, which is that, like, elves experience time and memory differently and how much mm. mm-hmm. like both the actual flow of time but also there's um I, I think Gimli later they're talking about memory and Gimli says for me you know memory is is but a reflection I hear for elves memory is more akin to a walking dream or something and so I think it's kind of interesting to see yeah. that tension between like yeah like different people experience these really fundamental things differently yeah yeah in the next paragraph Aragorn says some stuff and then to to Frodo and says come with me and taking Frodo's hand in his he left the hill of Karen Amroth and came there never again as living man yeah this this entire section of the book has such a more melancholic tone than anything yeah and like part of it is you know everything is kind of like everything and everyone that they meet is touched by and affected by the death of Gandalf in a really powerful way but also like it feels like the melancholy is so strong that it's like actually affecting the physical reality around them in interesting ways we'll get we'll talk about that a little more like especially when they are leaving Lothlorien in a few chapters. It, it's so striking. But I did want to say really fast. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Before um, that kind of conversation with Aragorn. So their they their eyes are unbound and they find themselves like in the middle of Karen, of Karen Amroth. And there's, I think, a really beautiful description of the place. The others cast themselves down upon the fragrant grass, and Frodo stood a while still lost in wonder. It seemed to him that he had stepped through a high window that looked on a vanished world. A light was upon it for which his language had no name. All that he saw was shapely, but the shapes seemed at once clear-cut, as if they had been first conceived and drawn at the uncovering of his eyes, and ancient, as if they had endured forever." He saw no color but those he knew, gold and white and blue and green, but they were fresh and poignant, as if he had at that moment first perceived them and made for them names new and wonderful. And winter here no heart could mourn for summer or for spring. No blemish or sickness or deformity could be seen in anything that grew upon the earth. On the land of Lorien there was no stain. The the next graph is Sam being very Sam, which is, you know, kind of funny, but also, like, really cutting to the heart of things. He describes it as feeling as if you are inside a song. Yeah. Um, and I love that, especially, yeah, with things that we're going to get to. Like, 
there's not a lot of it in Lord of the Rings, but I kind of love these moments of like, how do I like, how do I reconcile my personal, like uncommunicatable ex experience with the, the larger world? It's just very, it's very good. Absolutely. Um, they meet Galadriel and Celeborn. Yeah, so they so they arrive um, at the city, which is and super cool. Yeah, and I just this isn't even a gay moment, so like I know we should move on. But Galadriel says, "Welcome, Aragorn, son of Arathorn." No, Celeborn says that. But it is eight and thirty years of the world outside since you came to this land, and those years lie heavy on you. Um, so, so Arwen used to be in Lothlorien. Mm -hmm. Galadriel is her grandmother. Yes. Presumably, like, Aragorn used to come here, right, and hang out with Arwen here. 38 years ago. <laughs> eight. Yeah, yeah. Aragorn's... Yeah, eight and 30. 38. Yeah, he... Old. Old. There was a moment in the Rivendell chapter when Aragorn helps Bilbo write that song and Bilbo's like, he didn't even like put anything in except he made me like include a green stone. And then before they leave Lothlorien, Galadriel gives Aragorn a green stone from Arwen that she had like left for him. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like the, so like in the movie that is kind of transformed into the even star. Yeah, I mean, it, it. it is the even star, but yes, in the movie it's depicted very differently. Aragorn receiving his gift, too, is interesting because this part of the book is very concerned with the transformation of, like, Strider, the ranger, the man who, like, for whatever reason, has, like, cast aside the burden of his fate or what have you. The, the transformation of that man into, like, Aragorn... The, the king, the returned king. Yeah, because in the book, they give him a sheath for his sword. Yeah, which has, which has, like, runes and jewels on it, which sounds like the gaudiest thing. But <laughs> yeah. I, I do have a few things I want to get to before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when they are, like, greeting everyone and the company is, like, relaying the news of Gandalf's death like Celeborn and Galadriel welcome men and Galadriel's like where is Celeborn is like where is Gandalf and Galadriel's like yeah I, I can't see him with my um elf sight anymore and they relay the bad news and Celeborn is like lamenting that they went through Moria which is understandable but also like the party is so ravaged right now and there's this great yeah, moment where Galadriel kind of um rebuffs him the last thing that said is if it were possible one would say that at the last gandalf fell from wisdom into folly going needlessly into the net of moria and galadriel says he he would be rash indeed that said that thing said galadriel gravely needless were none of the deeds in Gan of gandalf in life those that followed him knew not his mind and cannot report his full purpose but however it may be with the guide, the followers are blameless. Do not repent of your welcome to the dwarf. If our folk had been exiled long and far from Lothorian, who of the Galadrim, even Celeborn the Wise, would pass nigh and wish would not wish to look upon their ancient home, though it had become the abode of dragons? And then she kind of lists some of the beautiful 
places of Moria, like in the dwarvish tongue, which is um, a really important moment for Gimli. And I think it's just this really beautiful yeah. moment of like, of grace and like the kind of interesting uh, intersection of cultures in this world. Yeah. And it, I mean, we have this line, it, it seemed to him that he looked suddenly into the heart of an enemy and saw there love and understanding. Fuck! Wonder came into his face and then he smiled in answer. And that's when he says, yet more fair is the living land of Lorien and the Lady Galadriel is above all the jewels that lie beneath the earth. And I, like, the movie does many things well, but we see there's not a lot of explanation in the film for Gimli's love of Galadriel and like his time in Lothlorien. Well, you know? yeah. And I mean, even the whole like elf dwarf thing gets really flattened to like a punchline about like unlikely drinking buddies. Yeah. But they form like a very like real friendship across like very real, you know, cultural divides. And I don't know. Yeah. It's... Yeah. Celeborn and Galadriel, like, welcome them and essentially say that they they can't stay here forever like even even Lothlorien cannot like shield them fully from the things that hound them but they can like rest here until they decide what to do and so they end up staying in Lothlorien for some chunk of time and the the thing I wanted to point out like while we're talking about like the the kind of forging of Legolas and Gimli's bond Mm, mm -hmm. is so you know while they're kind of whiling the days away in Lothlorien it said that Legolas was much away among the Galadrim and after the first night he did not sleep with the other companions though he returned to eat and talk with them often he took Gimli with him when he went abroad in the land and the others wondered at this change yeah, Legolas is just like, yo, Gimli, like, let, I, I know a spot. Ayo, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, we've all had that experience of, like, showing your new crush around your town and the, you know, like, it's fine. Absolutely. And then things get sad again. Yes, prior to that. Oh, yeah, but, but first. Galadriel says to them, uh, but this I will say to you, your quest stands upon the edge of a knife, oh, stray but God. a little, and yeah. it will fail, to the ruin of all. Yet hope remains while all the company is true. And then she sort of makes eye contact with each of them. Yeah. And, like, kind of searches their hearts, right? Only Legolas and Aragorn could long endure her glance. Sam quickly blushed and hung his head. And I just, my headcanon here is that... I mean, I know it says in a minute, I mean, we'll get to this too, but I very much feel like Sam, like she sees Sam's like romantic love. Yeah, yeah, now. that is absolutely how I saw that moment and then as well. And, and then, that maybe even for Sam, that is like the first moment of kind of like reconciliation and like acknowledging those feelings. Yeah, and I think, I think like the the guilt there is that he thinks of like accompanying Frodo then as like there's a selfishness to it because because it's because he loves Frodo and not because of like the greater good or whatever. Right. And that's and that's at odds with like the promise that he made, it, which is I feel like part of why he brings it up so much is like it's not just about like explaining his own motivations to the company. It's about explaining them to himself. Right. He also he does say 
about like what happened when she looked at him a little later. If you want to know, I felt as if I hadn't got nothing on and I didn't like it. <laughs> she seems to be looking inside me and asking me what I would do if she gave me the chance of flying back home to the Shire to a nice little hole with with a bit of garden of my own. Yeah, there's and an ellipsis I there. Just... There's an ellipsis there. He was absolutely thinking with Frodo. Yeah, and yeah, then absolutely. Said a with garden a, with, a, with a garden of their own. Wow. Yeah, and there's also, I mean, Mary, the, the party is saying that they all had this similar experience, and Mary says it says it as well, and I I like that. I I like. I'm a sucker for any of those moments where like. Those moments when the foursome from the Shire, like, stick to their bonds for each other. Yeah. Like, they are the ones who are the most, like, ill-suited for the journey. Um, And when they lean into it, it's very good. Yeah. Um, We have a great moment, like, of, like, dramatic Aragorn when he says, Speak no evil of the Lady Galadriel. You know not what you say. There is in her and in this land no evil unless a man bring it hither himself then let him beware and then th- this is what i what i love but tonight i shall sleep without fear of the first time since i left rivendell and may i sleep deep and forget for a while my grief i am weary in body and in heart he cast himself down upon his couch and fell at once oh my into god a long he's sleep. such a dramatic bitch i love him <laughs> yeah well so he says that in response to boromir like boromir who is yeah, really beginning like- to show uh, the beginnings of his his heel turn here. So then next we get the scene, which is also in the movie, which I love, which is, so the party is is in Lothlorien and they hear the elves singing a song. Like laments. A lament for Gandalf. for Gandalf, which Legolas won't translate for them because he says the pain is, the grief was still too near. And so... In the books, Frodo writes his own kind of memorial verse for Gandalf, which is very sweet. And then Sam chimes in with his own verse about Gandalf's fireworks, which we see in the movie and is a great scene. But there's there's this yeah. in the books. There's this moment immediately after that. This was it was the first time I like cried in this section. Sam is kind of, you know, like reminiscing about Gandalf's magic and his fireworks and and speculating that he wants to see elf magic. He says, I'd dearly love to see some elf magic, Mr. Frodo. I wouldn't, said Frodo. I am content, and I don't miss Gandalf's fireworks, but his bushy eyebrows and his quick temper and his voice. That just, that felt like such a real moment of grief, like... When I think about the people I love who have died, the, like those are, you know, the little things that yeah. you miss. It's just, it was a great, great little moment. Oh, you're gonna make me cry now. I, listen, that that was that was. <laughs> I have a ca- I have like a cry counter for this section of the book, and that was that was the first one. Yeah, I mean, I cried a lot when we were watching this section of the movie. I know too. I could hear you. <laughs> yeah, I. <laughs> I- I feel like, interestingly, that section, like, obviously, I usually cry during Gandalf's death. I think, actually, we talked about it last time, but specifically when they, like, get, you know, every, they actually get out of Moria, and there's the scene of everyone on the thing, Mm -hmm. and, like, Mm -hmm. Mary Mm -hmm. is holding Pippin while Pippin sobs, and that's usually what gets, like, it's that moment that gets me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so like you have watched these movies much a, a more lot. than I have. Oh, so much. Um, like I've honestly only seen them each a few times. So the like Boromir death scene that we'll oh. get to, um, like yeah. really hit it's me because so I just, I hadn't watched it in years. Yeah, yeah. So I, I still really love that scene, but I think I've seen it enough that I'm honestly like a little desensitized to it. Yeah, exactly. And okay. it was yeah, it, it's like great. all fresh for me again. Everyone, everyone, be strong. I know, I know it's been a minute, but we I promise we are coming up on our very first horse reference of the book. It's not meaty, but it is coming up, okay? No, there is, Um, right after that Frodo's song, Mm-hmm. Um, this is a gay moment for me. One evening, Frodo and Sam were walking together in the cool twilight. Both of them felt restless again. And I just, fellas, is it gay to walk in the cool twilight with your bud? Yeah. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. So they, they're walking and, um, they are kind of interrupted by Galadriel, who invites the two of them to go look into the mirror. And this is another fucking sad moment. Like, in terms of, like, Galadriel and Frodo's interactions, because in the movie it's just Frodo and Galadriel, it it cleaves to the text pretty pretty cleanly. But, like, Sam's... The, like, choice that Sam is faced with here is very, like... It got me, yeah. you know? Yeah, because Sam, so Sam looks in first mm-hmm. and sees the Shire being destroyed. Yeah, and specifically sees, like, his dad being, like, turned out of his house and, like, care, trying to, like, put his things in a wheelbarrow and, like, wheel them away. Yeah, he says, I can't stay here, he said wildly, I must go home. And Galadriel, like, responds that he can't go alone. He didn't wish to go home without... Frodo before he looked in the mirror and yet you knew that evil things might well be happening in the Shire kind of reminds him that like they might not come to be it's not like the present Mm -hmm. um Sam sat on the ground and put his head in his hands I wish I had never come here and I don't want to see no more magic he said and fell silent after a moment he spoke again thickly as if struggling with tears no I'll go home by the long road with Mr. Frodo or not at all he said, but I hope I do get back some day. If what I've seen turns out true, somebody's going to catch it hot. Fellas, is it gay to go home by the long road? <laughs> Ugh. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's so heart-wrenching, like, his, you know, being torn between home and, like, his whole life, everything he's grown up with, and and his loyalty to Frodo and the quest. Yeah. And so then Frodo Frodo looks up, steps up to look in the mirror. And I actually, I thought this scene was was uh, very scary of him. Like, you know, he sees some um, kind of visions and it, it ends with the great, like, lidless eye searching for him. And it's the first, uh, we, we've gotten kind of shorter descriptions of the eye, but this is, like, very telling and scary and like the way it describes Galadriel throughout has reminded them like like don't touch the water don't break the surface of the water and the feeling of the ring like the ring that hung upon its chain about his neck grew heavy heavier than a great stone and his head was dragged downwards the mirror seemed to be growing hot and curls of steam were rising from the water 
He was slipping forward. Do not touch the water, the Lady Galadriel said softly. The vision faded, and Frodo found that he was looking at the cool stars twinkling in the silver basin. The I, We talked about this a, a tiny bit while we were watching. I, like, we don't love the the way, like, Galadriel's, you know, power temptation moment. Yeah, which is a shame because I think it's, a, like, it's, it's a cool moment. Like, I it love, is. I love the, the, you know, the continuing theme of, like, like, no, no one is immune to the power here. Like, even your fave, your fave would never, your fave would, in fact. It's a, it, but it's a very kind of straightforward interpretation. Like, you know, they even talk about, like, the colors of the light reversing in the text, which is, I think when we were watching, we described Galadriel's, like, temptation transformation as, like, early MacBook photo booth effect. Yeah, I mean, it It very much is that. And I just, I mean, maybe I just don't like movies. Joey, <laughs> <laughs> that's a bad thing to figure out four episodes into this podcast. Oh, buddy. It's not true. I just, I keep, it's hard to, like, to compare them so directly side by side because there is so much, like, subtlety and richness in the text that we just, like, I feel like... I lose over and over again in the film. And like, I think that moment would sort of hit harder if it was just a, like three, three hairs less <laughs> dramatic. <laughs> wow. You fucking nerd. God. <laughs> no, I, I Wait, hear you. Speaking of, speaking of the hairs. Uh-huh that Galadriel gives Gimli. Do you know, like, the lore on that? Uh, no. I know that there is some, like, big lore back reason for why it's a thing, but only because of, like, clickbaity, like... Yeah, okay, I I don't remember the exact details, so, like, no one fight me on this because I don't Okay, care. no one, no um, one at Joey about this. Y'all have been warned. I saw, like, I read a Tumblr post or whatever, <laughs> like, a month ago, and then forgot all of the names <laughs> of those involved. Great. There was, like, a fancy elf back in the day mm-hmm. who was, like, the greatest elf warrior ever or whatever, and he asked Galadriel for a single hair, and she refused him. Oh. And so for her to give Gimli a dwarf three... Yeah, that's a big deal. ...is, like, wild. And he doesn't he doesn't quite ask either. Like, he sort of half half asks. Yeah, he they they do the kind of like courtesy stepping around each other where like she to him is like what like what like what could we what could we give you? Like name anything and you shall have it. And he's like, "Oh no, I I couldn't possibly." And she's like, "No, no, no, you have to tell us." And he's like, "Well, I I didn't want to say anything, but like if you said I have to tell you, it would be rude not to." <laughs> yeah, that but like I mean he he is like honorable about it. Oh is, yeah, no, he, he's point. he's not you know, being I like think, sleazy. Like it's a very sincere right. interaction. Like like I think the point of that like war for me is that as great as that elf warrior was, he was like he felt entitled to it in a way that Gimli does not and like demonstrates that he does not. Yeah. And that like humility is what she Well, and and also sort of, the like you know, the the greater significance of of the gift that it, it 
it is this very intentional offering across like a relationship that has permanent that has previously been damaged. Yeah. But before yeah. before we get too far into the the yes. gift scene because yeah, there's yeah, other yeah. go there's such good shit to talk about there. We have our first yeah, horse reference. So oh my god. Yeah, so on my in my book, it's page 358. It's in the first couple of paragraphs of the chapter of chapter 8 Farewell to Lorien, which is where Celeborn and Galadriel announce that they're giving they're giving the company um, boats to take on the Great River. Celeborn mm-hmm. says essentially that they're we're giving you boats because like I know there's at least a few people in your party who can handle boats. Legolas, who fo- whose folk know the swift forest river and Boromir of Gondor and Aragorn the Traveler. And one hobbit. And one <laughs> hobbit! cried Mary. <laughs> Not all of us look on boats as wild horses. My people live by the banks of the Brandywine. So that's that's it. That's yeah. horse so, number one. Yeah, just um the uh, theoretical horse mentioned, there. and we get one very shortly after, which yes, is almost um, exactly the same thing. Yeah, uh, only Sam was doubtful. He, at any rate, still thought boats as bad as wild horses, or worse. And not all the dangers that he had survived made him think better of them. <laughs> I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that is that right there is almost fifty percent of the horse references for this for this section. Yep. Let's let's take a moment here. Let's really relish that. Mm, yeah. Tasty. A feast. What do you think is... If you had to choose between boats or wild horses... <laughs> I think I'd take wild horses. I mean, I like boats, too. I Here's the thing. I would have a much easier time handling a boat than I would a wild horse. I think that really depends on the boat. Like, if you put me in a canoe versus a horse that hasn't been broken, like, I can figure out the canoe. But, like, if yeah. it's, like, a sailed ship where I have to figure out, like, sails that's and wind true. and knots, I'm fucked. Give mm-hmm. me the wild horse. Okay. I'll figure it out. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Let's go back to gifts. So they, they give them the boats, and then they have kind of, like, a farewell picnic so they're like loading the boats and they see a giant bird what looks like a giant swan kind of swimming up the river towards them and they realize it's a boat it's an elf boat um and Celeborn and Galadriel are there and are like we haven't feasted with you like we should say our proper goodbyes we have gifts for you and we'll do a a parting feast this is also where they give them the limbus bread and the cloaks yeah, yeah, yeah. Which Galadriel and her, like, retinue wove the fabric for themselves. Yes. Um, speaking of those cloaks, those cloaks in the film um, were made uh, from uh, blends of, I think, primarily Gotland wool, although it was, like, a Joey, particular what is Gotland wool? flock of... It's from a Gotland sheep, um, but it was, like... Spe- hey, Joey, what's a Gotland, Gotland sheep? sheep in New Zealand. Um, you can Google a picture. I don't actually remember what they look like, although I've Googled before. I have not spun wool from that, like those specific New Zealand sheep, but I have spun other Gotland wool and it does have a really cool kind of like shimmery, varying gray, um, to it. It's cool. You can actually, the like company that made the fabric, Mm -hmm. um, out of that wool for, the movie you can buy like 
that exact weave of fabric from well, them. Well, now I need some. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send you a link oh, later. Great. We have that, and then we have we have Sam's rope nerd moment. Yeah, the gifts the gifts are great. I do want to I want to read the description of the cloaks really fast, just because it's oh yeah it's yeah cool. yeah. Uh, it's hard to say of what color they were. Gray, with the hue of twilight under the trees they seemed to be. And yet, if they were moved, or set in another light, they were green as shadowed leaves, or brown as fallow fields by night, dusk silver as water under stars. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and Pippin, Pippin asks if the cloaks oh, are yeah. magic, and there's this ongoing thing of, like, the, like elves don't know what magic is. Like, a lot of their existence is, like, quote-unquote magic. So Pippin is like, are these magic cloaks? And the elves are like, I do not know what you mean by that. They're nice garments, though. <laughs> yeah. It's a great moment. It's good. Okay, so by their their boats, they added also coils of rope, three to each boat. <laughs> Slender they looked, but strong, silken to the touch, gray of hue like the elven cloaks. What are these? asked Sam, handling one that lay upon the greensward. Ropes indeed, answered an elf from the boats. Never never travel far without a rope, and one that is long and strong and light. Such are these. They may be a help in many needs. You don't need to tell me that, said Sam. I came without any, and I've been worried ever since. But I was wondering what these were made of, knowing a bit about rope making. It's in the family, as you might say. (laughs) Sam. And, yeah, they are made of... Um, Hithlane, I don't remember, they pronounced this weirdly in the movie, and I don't remember what Hithlane. it was. Hithlane. Hithlane, maybe? Hithlane? I don't know. But there is no time now to instruct you in the art of their making. Had we known that this craft delighted you, we could have taught you you much. But now, alas, unless you should at some time return hither, you must be content oh. with our gift. Oh, buddy. <laughs> Sam could have learned elf rope making. I, God, I love him. I also... I can't remember if we've mentioned this, but, like, at least, I think it's at least twice, maybe three times, explicitly in the text, Sam, at various points in their journey, his journey has been like, God, I wish we had some fucking rope. So I just really love how much, like, <laughs> foreshadowing there is in, like, set up for this moment of payoff of, like, Sam yeah. loves some rope. Yeah, it's great. Then they see the swan boat. See, that's yes. why I was confused. But, but first, so they see the swan boat. Uh, Galadriel sings a, a beautiful, very sad song. Um, yeah. And they kind of do a little, like, ceremony of parting. Like, Galadriel has them all drink from the same vessel. I mean, the whole thing is just, like, suffused with that same, like, melancholy. Yeah. I mean, the, like... The elves say pretty explicitly at some point in these chapters, like, whether or not the ring is destroyed. We are diminished. Things, right, are changing irreversibly, and we can't, like, continue. And and what's, and what's more, we have waited too long to now, like, leave to the western shores as, like, our, as other elves have. Like, we are, we are trapped. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah. Um... What I was going to say is there's a note about who's sitting in what boat. Mm, mm-hmm. It says, the company was arranged in this way. Aragorn, Frodo, and Sam were in one boat. Boromir, Merry, and Pippin in another. And in the third were Legolas and Gimli, who had now become fast friends. Hell yeah. God, get... 
Where, where if by is, fast you mean boy, who had now become boyfriends. boyfriends. Where is the DLC about their, like, little adventures in Lothlorien? Like, please give me that interstitial. Oh, yeah. Okay, so then, yeah. then it's gift-giving time. The gifts are nice. Um, Aragorn gets that, mm-hmm. the fancy sheath for his sword, which sounds gaudy as fuck, but whatever. And he gets the even star from his GF's grandma. Like you do. Yep. Merry and Pippin get nice yep. belts. Boromir also gets a belt. Legolas gets a, a nice bow. And then Sam. Sam gets a very special gift. For you, little gardener and lover of trees, she said to Sam, I have only a small gift. She put into his hands a little box of plain gray wood, unadorned, save for, save for a single silver rune upon the lid. Here is set G for Galadriel, she said, but also it may stand for garden in your tongue. In this box there is earth from my orchard, and such a blessing as Galadriel has still to bestow is upon it. It will not keep you on your road, nor defend you against any peril, but if you keep it and see your home again at last, then perhaps it may reward you. Though you should find all barren and laid waste, there will be few gardens in Middle-earth that will bloom like your garden if you sprinkle this earth there. Then you may remember Galadriel and catch a glimpse of far-off Lorien that you have seen only in our winter. For our spring and summer are gone by, and they will never be seen on earth again, save in memory. Sam went red to the ears and muttered something inaudible yeah. as he clutched the box and bowed as well he could. Uh, I'm not okay. Like, it's both, it's both very sweet because it is a very thoughtful gift catered to Sam and his interests. But like, it's it's such a hopeful gift. It is like, you know, based on the hope that like like you will survive this and you will go home and you will grow things again. And that's so. It's such a touching gesture, and it also, I think it's so meaningful because, like, this is really someone who has, like, looked at Sam and, like, understood his fundamental character. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not okay. No, not at all. Um, We gotta pick up the pace a little because we're already at 55 minutes of recording, and we have a bit a bit to get through, especially in the film. Yes. Okay. But I've I've loved this. I'm not I'm not complaining. I'm just like, oh shit. I, I pretty much only have like three more like textual notes for the rest of the section. Yeah, I have I have a couple <laughs> Luckily we're we're very efficient this episode because we have no horses to tally. So yeah, so then we can really talk about everything else. Wow. Oh, oh, there's a moment so when they're in the boats, uh oh. I think this is the same moment. Is this about Gimli? Oh, no, it oh, isn't. Interesting. What's the Gimli moment? Was it about his gift? No, 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 no. Sorry, this is like a page or two after that. Please go on about Gimli's gift. Okay, this is about... No, I mean... No, that's... The... I was... I. That's not what I'm talking about either. I was just wondering if it was... God, what, what are either about? of us talking about? <laughs> Fuck! I'm we are falling about... apart without the, like, without the structure of horses. I'm talking about Gollum on a log. 
Oh, that's that's farther that's farther away. Can I can I butt first you okay, really yes. fast? Okay, this yes. is one of the last things. I just I really loved this passage. Mm-hmm. On page 369, so it's like right after they have Okay, actually I'm sorry, but first one one genuinely fast thing. So they like they immediately turn a bend in the river and can no longer see Lorian. Um, for so it seemed to them, Lorian was slipping backward like a bright ship masted with enchanted trees, sailing on to forgotten shores while they sat helpless upon the margin of a gray and leafless world. Which, so, and then the whole party is kind of like in their feelings about having left what to them feels like the last safe harbor that they will have before uh, more peril. And Gimli has a moment. He says, I have last, I have looked the last upon which was fairest uh, about the gift. But he also says, tell me, Legolas, why did I come on this quest? Little did I know where the chief peril lay. Truly, Elrond spoke, saying that we could not foresee what we might meet upon our road. Torment in the dark was the danger that I feared, and it did not hold me back. But I would not have come had I known the danger of light and joy. Now I have taken my worst wound in this parting. Even if I were to go this night straight to the Dark Lord, alas for Gimli, son of Gloin. And Legolas, this is like such a, I love this moment between them, but Legolas says, nay, alas for us all, and for all that walk the world in these after days. For such is the way of it, to find and lose, as it seems to those whose boat is on the running stream. But I count you blessed, Gimli, son of Gloin. For your loss you suffer of your own free will, and you might have chosen otherwise. But you have not forsaken your companions, and the least reward that you shall have is the memory of Lothlorien shall remain ever clear and unstained in your heart, and shall neither fade nor grow stale. That's like a beautiful sentiment that if we apply our Legolas and Gimli, our boyfriend's lens, which we always do... It feels kind of yeah. like this conversation about, like, is it worth it to, like, be vulnerable and intimate and, like, make connections when you might lose them? And the answer is Yeah, I mean, yes. it's the classic, is it is it better to have loved yeah. and lost than never to have loved at all? Yeah. Um, so the closest thing we get to a horse... Oh, God, yeah. Uh, in the movie, is... we, we've decided to name this an honorary horse, so we have literally anything... Currently, my spreadsheet just says, uh... Mm-hmm. The log that Gollum is hanging onto to float down the river and follow the boats it's kind of... um, is... It's kind of horse-like. I mean, it is both a mount and also it is kind of long and straight and then has a bit sticking up on one end. And really, that's all a horse is. Yeah. Just a, a brown log with a bit sticking up on one end. It can end. be different colors. It's fine. It's true. <laughs> what? Oh, what cup? Co- what cup co- color would you? How would you? I, what is this? I just log? mean, well, uh, I should have paid more attention when we were watching the movie. I'm guessing it's like a like a dark chestnut. Yeah, but it's I don't know. It, it listen, could be it's more brown. Like grayish. It was it was dark. I don't know. I have to say, like Gollum's like riding posture is not is not. He's very hunched, which is not ideal. And not just hunched, it's, it's 
sometimes he's actually under the horse. Yeah, you lose. You let me tell you, you lose points for that in competition. Yeah, <laughs> if you flip over and are hanging from under a horse, it's a bad. I mean, time. unless it's like a trick riding, people do that. Listen, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, maybe Gollum is just a really skilled uh rider, and we're well addressed meeting him. Oh, Aragorn does me. say that he's too clever a waterman. Yeah. So. The, the, they're on the river for a long while, and this is where, like, tempers kind of start to fray, and the, the part you really see the, like, weave of the party falling apart, and the whole time they are being trailed by both orcs, which they know are around, and by Gollum, who various party members see under various circumstances, and kind of doubt yeah, what they've and, seen. Right, and actually, it's Sam... And then, like, Sam consults with Frodo about it, and they sort of, like, take turns keeping special watch. Which is and very it's, good. it's really very sweet that they're, yeah, that they're, like, trying to figure this thing out on their own. Yeah, and then Frodo says something to Aragorn about Gollum. And Aragorn is like, oh, yeah, I've been trying to catch him for the last couple of nights. Yep. <laughs> Like, Aragorn, please talk to people. Right, like, you don't have to hold this on your own, you know? Aragorn here is, like, we really see him, we we see these moments, these, like, flashes of, like, kingliness for him, but, like, also him on the river, like, having stepped up to be the leader of this party and about to make, this is not really a, a conflict in the book, but or in the movie, but a huge part of this chunk of the book is deciding whether they will take the river splits off in two directions. Whether they will take the right. river west to Minas Tirith with Boromir, Boromir. or whether they yeah, will like, take... are they going to go to Minas Tirith first, or are they going to like? I mean, that's where Boromir is going, regardless. But is right. Aragorn going to go with him, or like accompany the hobbits, and or should the hobbits go to Minas Tirith first, etc.? Right, and so like Aragorn as the now like de facto leader of this party, like really struggles with that decision they at some point get near the eastern bank and get shot at by arrows oh i'm sorry oh we've missed we've missed our third horse we've missed our third horse reference which is like immediately when they are um uh when they're on the river the hobbits are saying so they're talking about how much time has passed because time was weird when they were in lothlorien because Time works a little mm. differently for mm-hmm. elves. We're not going to get into that too much, but essentially, it's no longer it's it's no longer winter. It's becoming spring in the world, and the hobbits are saying that they thought it would be warmer um, the farther south that they got. And Aragorn's like, "Yeah, the world is big. We've pretty much just been like heading east. We're really not actually that much farther south." As he's describing the terrain, they have yet to go. Aragorn mentions the horse lords of Edoras, so that's horse yes. number three for us. Does yours say Horse Lords of Edoras? Because mine says you are looking now southwest across the north plains of the Rittermark, Rohan, the land of the Horse Lords. Yes, that's what it says. And that's that's it. Yeah, that's not even an actual horse. It's just... Which is a good aside, because they, I mean, they've already had this, like, long, harrowing journey, and they have not even come, you know, like, the realization that they really haven't even gone that far south is, like, it's a good moment of scale. I was looking at, this book has a nice, like, fold-out map in the back of it. Oh, yours has a fold-out? Sick. Yeah. Check, check this out. Oh my god, look at that centerfold map. It folds out in two directions? 
Fuck. It out in two directions. And, like, looking from, like, the Shire it's to Rivendell. Huge. It's a huge amount of space. Then, and then, like, Rivendell to Lorien is, like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a chunk. It's a, I mean, they are, like, halfway. But it's also, like, so much more mm-hmm. to get to. Yeah. So, they um, have some some troubles upon the great river like they get shot at by orcs they have some troubles with some rapids which they eventually figure out how to like portage around portage is, is where you get out of the boat and carry the boat joey have you uh-huh. have you done any like canoeing or boating i mean a tiny bit have you been subjected to a portage i don't remember i feel like i have but i might just be remembering a really vivid description of it in a book uh, portaging is a level of hell. Yeah, I mean, I believe it. Not for our heroes. They do fine. And then they pretty much come to the point, uh, like, above. They go through the Argonath, which we won't talk about too much. But, like, the Argonath is one of the, like, standout visuals of Lord of the Rings in my mind. And, yeah, it's it's striking. And also, that, that moment is kind of pivotal in the transformation of... Like, this whole, like, spectrum we've seen of Strider to Aragorn. Like, having seen the face of his forefathers, like, Aragorn is, like, more completely transformed. Like, the way it's framed in the book is even, like, it says, like, Frodo turned around to look at him and, like... Yeah. I don't have the quote for me. Frodo turned and saw Strider, and yet not Strider, for the weather-worn ranger was no longer there. In the stern sat Aragorn, son of Adathorn proud and erect, guiding the boat with skillful strokes. His hood was cast back, and his dark hair was blowing in the wind. A light was in his eyes, a king returning from exile to his own land. Fellas, is it gay to, to steer the boat with, what is it, with skillful strokes? <laughs> um, and like, look, I'm, I'm like anti-royalty generally, so don't get me wrong, but also, Damn. you know. It's yeah. that, oh my god, it's that tweet about, like, talking to your therapist and, like, you know, like, I'm against the monarchy, but, like, I love to see it when, like, the ancestral sword is drawn and the king returns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Before before that happens, a little, a few pages before. But before that. So remember the Black Riders? Oh, shit, yes. Yes, and our, like, primary antagonist horses, so far. All their horses, even though they were maybe evil, um, tragically died in a river. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was that line when Gandalf, I think it was Gandalf. They will find stronger and swifter steeds. Well, I think they've done that. Aw, beans! Because Legolas looks up at the stars to sigh about Elbereth Gilthoniel, that, you know, star that we wrote a song about Mm -hmm. Shadowfax being. Um, even as he did so, a dark shape, like a cloud and yet not a cloud, for it moved far more swiftly, came out of the blackness in the south and sped towards the company, blotting out all light as it approached. Soon it appeared as a great winged creature, blacker than the pits in the night. Fierce voices rose up to greet it from across the water. Frodo felt a sudden chill running through him, and clutching at his heart, there was a deadly cold, like the memory of an old wound, in his shoulder. He crouched down as if to hide. And Legolas shoots an arrow into it, and it swerves, and there's a harsh croaking scream as it fell out of the air, vanishing down into the gloom of the eastern shore. 
Which is like, damn, Legolas, you just like fucking shut down a Nazgul. Yeah, yeah. Probably not for long. But yes, this is the new steed of the Ringwraiths. An honorary horse. An honorary horse. Scarier than most horses. Yeah. Uh, I know there are people who are scared of horses, but like be more scared of Nazgul. I always think of like Gollum's line the first time that they see them in the movies where like Andy Serkis and his very screechy voice goes, race, race on wings. (laughs) Okay. Um, So honorary horse. So then, yeah, I mean. They reach a crossroads. Yeah. What we're coming to is they have to make this decision and Frodo decides to... Well, Aragorn puts the decision to Frodo, and Frodo says, like, I know that haste is needed, yet I cannot choose. The burden is heavy. Give me an hour longer and I will speak. Let me be alone. And he walks away. And then Boromir comes and talks to him. And in the film, that goes a little bit differently, because, like, they haven't put the decision to Frodo. He just, like, disappears. The the major- a majority of the argument itself, though, the dialogue is, is pretty loyal to the the text but it's so it's such it's so effective yeah like boromir is doing the wrong thing pretty clearly but also is sympathetic throughout like because he comes from this place of like we're we're doomed and fucked and my people specifically who have already like already take we already carry the heaviest burden in terms of like shielding the lands of men including the shire like from Mordor, which like you don't even know about. Like you don't you yeah, don't know what right. we face. Yeah, and he's like, and now like we have basically like a chance to actually like fight back in a meaningful way mm-hmm. and and you're gonna just like take that chance and destroy it. Yeah. Um and and I mean the ring is working on him. I mean like he has this confrontation with Frodo, right? Um and then like immediately afterward he like he breaks down and like realizes. Yeah, yeah, and tries to apologize, but the the damage has already been done. So Frodo yeah. puts on the ring and in this very like cinematic description, like finds himself at the top of a hill with like an old with ruins and like an old throne and like sits upon the throne and he says he feels like a child, like sitting in this for him like oversized yeah, feeling like a lost child clambered upon the throne of mountain kings and he has the ring on the entire time and is kind of having visions because of the ring and that's where we get our very last horse reference of the entire book on page 391 everywhere he looked he saw the signs of war the misty mountains were crawling like ant hills orcs were issuing out of a thousand holes under the boughs of Mirkwood, there was deadly strife of elves and men and fell beast. The land of, of the Bjornings was aflame. A cloud was over Moria. Smoke rose on the borders of Lorien. Horsemen were galloping on the grass of Rohan, and wolves poured from Isengard. And it goes on and on, essentially. Oh yeah, there's there's actually, there's another horses like two sentences later. Oh my god, really? Um, out of the east, yeah, out of the east, men were moving endlessly. Swordsmen, spearmen, bowmen upon On horses, horses, yeah. Chariots of chieftains and laden wains. Oh my yeah. god, two horses for one. So there's actually six horses this segment. I mean, we don't yeah. really see any of them or interact with them meaningfully, but six horse what? references. Wait, we didn't, we skipped 
the Boromir for I lost my horset. Oh, we sure did. Okay, there's one we forgot to mention. Um, this is when they're still in the process of leaving Lothlorien and trying to decide which route to take. And Boromir is describing the route that he took on the way to the Council of Elrond and says, uh, yeah. I lost my horse at Tharbad at the fording of Gl- Greyflood. It's not very meaty or interesting, just Boromir lost a horse. Rip. Yeah, Boromir had a horse. He lost it. Damn, we've all been there. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, that's all the horses for this <laughs> segment. All I know, I know it's horse light. We, we've been joking to ourselves, like, every time it feels like every segment we say to ourselves, there's actually not a lot of horses in this one, and this yeah, time... this is truly, truly a, a, a dearth of horses, a middle dearth of horses. <laughs> I actually, I literally, Joey, I literally have that joke written in my fucking notes. <laughs> Oh my god, because I thought of it at the beginning of this episode. I was riffing on Middle Earth because I also, we were like looking at everyone's hair during the film, during the same part where I wrote that. I also wrote Middle Earth, more like middle part, because everyone has middle parts. Speaking of middle parts, Boromir's hair is like middle parted, but it is like, it's not a part. It's like, and I don't think hair does that very naturally. I think they had to go in. It's essentially a zigzag thing. like so fine that you can't even see the zigzag it's just like so if you look a lot of a lot of a lot of them have that kind of weird folded over part and i think it's to hide the wig yeah that makes sense and i mean it 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 also these grody these like grimy ass men are not out there like with a comb right like parts tend to look too intentional even when they kind of happen naturally and yeah. So it's a weird, it's sort of an effortful way of making something look yeah. unintentional or effortless. And, and then it's it's just like gay until the end of this chapter in it, various ways. It really is. In the book, we have kind of like the rest of the fellowship, you know, what should we do? And they're like sitting around having what sounds like a kind of un- a pretty miserable conversation. Right. And Pippin is like, he doesn't like to ask anyone to go with him, but he like, he knows we shan't agree to his going east. He ought to know that if we can't stop him, we shan't leave him. And then Sam says, begging your pardon, I don't think you understand my master at all. He isn't hesitating about which way to go. Of course not. What's the good of Minas Tirith anyway? To him, I mean, begging your pardon, Master Boromir, he added. Oh, and then that's when they realize that Boromir is gone. Um, but then he continues, but Mr. Frodo, he knows he's got to find the cracks of doom if he can, but he's afraid. Now it's come to the point. He's just plain terrified. That's what his trouble is. Of course, he's had a bit of schooling, so to speak. We all have since we left home or he'd be so terrified. He'd just fling the ring in the river and bolt, but he's still too frightened to start. And he isn't worrying about us either, whether we'll go along with him or no. He knows we mean to. That's another thing that's bothering him. If he screws himself up to go, he'll want to go alone. Mark my words, we're going to have trouble when he comes back. For he'll screw himself up all right, as sure as his name's Baggins. Mm. I mean, Sam, like, knows Frodo so well. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Anyways, and then, so, Boromir reappears... This situation is a little, like, more drawn out in 
the book because the orcs actually like don't show up until after like Frodo and Sam leave. Um, so Boromir in the yeah, book, which is in the next like book. does not yeah. die yet in this episode, although he does in the movie. Um, but um, then they realize that like it's been like an hour since anyone has seen Frodo and they all go searching for him. Um, Strider asks Sam to like come with him and then he falls behind. And then I love this. He says, Whoa, Sam Gamgee. He said aloud, your legs are too short. So use your head. Let me see now. Boromir isn't lying. That's not his way, but he hasn't told us everything. Something scared Mr. Frodo badly. He screwed himself up to the point. Sudden. He made up his mind at last to go. Where to? Off east. Not without Sam? Yes, without even his Sam. That's hard. Cruel hard. Sam passed his hand over his eyes, brushing away the tears. Steady, Gamgee, he said. Think, if you can. He can't fly across rivers, and he can't jump waterfalls. He's got no gear, so he's got to get back to the boats. Back to the boats! Back to the boats, Sam, like lightning! And so he, like, runs... And he falls and he, he skins his knees. Yeah, he cuts his knees and he gets back up and keeps running. And he, he hears, like, cries in the woods behind, but he doesn't, like, pay attention. He just, like, keeps running. And then he sees a boat sliding down the bank all by itself and flings himself into the water and, like, starts drowning, um, <laughs> basically. Yeah, which I, 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 I hate the way it's filmed in the movie. Yeah. I love, like, the moment when they clasp hands, but prior to that, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like, it's like one of those where we get ten seconds of, like, Sean Astin kind of flailing around underwater with his, like, cloak billowing up yeah, it's about kind him, of, and, and it's, we, I don't need that. It's longer than it Just give me the be. handshake. Just give me them, like, hugging and crying as Sam gets in the boat. Yeah. Um, an exclamation of dismay came from the empty boat. A paddle swirled and the boat put about... Frodo was just in time to grasp Sam by the hair as he came up, bubbling and struggling. Fear was staring Bubble in and his struggle. round brown eyes. Up you come, Sam, my lad, said Frodo. Now take my hand. Save me, Mr. Frodo, gasped Sam. I'm drowned. I can't see your hand. <laughs> I love him so much. They end up both in the boat and... Then Frodo is like, why are you doing this? Like, I'm going to Mordor. And Sam is like, of course you are. I'm coming with you. Like, that's the point. And Frodo says, but I must go at once. It's the only way. Of course it is, answers Sam, but not alone. I'm coming too, or neither of us is going. I'll knock holes in all the boats first. Frodo actually laughed. A sudden warmth and gladness touched his heart. Ugh. Yeah. Sam grabs a couple extra things because he had already packed Packed. his stuff for like as soon as because he knew that Frodo was gonna I mean he initially thought Frodo would make the decision and they would like go right away and then then realized but yeah yeah it's really good uh it's good it's good in the movie too I I do want to talk really briefly about um how the movie deviates actually in a way that I really like which is like when Frodo is hightailing it back to camp the orcs are around and he runs into Merry and Pippin in the woods mm. and they're kind mm-hmm. of hiding 
it, behind separate things like Frodo is behind a tree and Merry and Pippin are behind some rocks as like orcs are streaming between them. So they're kind of having this silent conversation with their eyes where like Merry and Pippin are like gesturing to Frodo, like come with us, come with us. And he kind of shakes his head no. And Merry is the one who realizes like he's leaving. And then Merry yeah. and Pippin like oh, fling yeah. themselves out in view of the, oh, oh no, don't yeah. <laughs> I know it's so good. They like fling themselves out in view of the orcs um, to distract to... them so that Frodo can escape. Oh no! I know. <laughs> I know. It's 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 a great moment. Like I love I I love the like reinforcement of that relationship, and I also thought it was really nice because it mirrored like the first when they are first on the road together, the first time that they really encounter danger together as a group when they um, see the wraith on the road and are hiding under the, under the little like hollowed out tree roots and Mary and Pippin like fling their bag of mushrooms to the side to like distract the wraith so they can escape. It just, it feels like this really nice moment to bring them back together, which you pointed out before we streamed. Yeah. This is the last time the hobbits are all together before like, you know, the end of Return of the King. That's such a fucking gut punch. Yeah, I I did. I said this before we started recording, just sort of like casually, and Caitlin was like, what the fuck, bro? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like it's like you said last time, you know I am experiencing emotions when I start saying bro. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, that's, that's the last time. In honor of that, before we get to some more sad stuff, I do want to talk about a, a picture. <laughs> A treasure, a, tr- a, a treasure, a delight, a, an, an, a, yes. a little treat for you and for me. An incredible photograph of the four actors playing the hobbits um, that was, I think, a promotional A lot of the shot. press stuff from the time is so um, interesting because it, it's such a different time and everyone was so baby. Like, they just read so weirdly now. Yeah, it's... It's so funny. I mean, I I originally saw this photo when it was like going around as like a Tumblr post of like them comparing them to a to a boy band because they absolutely look like it. Um, we'll be tweeting this picture when this episode they drops. Look, they don't. They do look like a boy band. They also look to me like it's their like Buffy slash Angel cosplay group photo. Oh yeah, I mean definitely definitely that. It's I mean it's a of certainly not a boy band of now you know more like no, NSYNC, no, no, no. backstreet boys era right um yeah. but yeah the like elijah wood is in like a black leather jacket and um <laughs> they're all very like intense looking and and very glowy yeah very glowy it's very it's funny great it's photo. great and then i mean there's another one of them like goofing off where like Sean Astin like has his foot up to the camera as if to com- to like communicate that he's a hobbit and they're just like being goofballs um Please and then note, also Dominic Monaghan's huge like wallet chain in that photo yeah it's a giant oh no that's that's not a wallet chain those are suspenders they're patterned oh is it really yes it's like a diagonal plaid almost like suspenders oh my god that he's wearing down Yes. Fuck. It absolutely is. Ugh. It's very funny. And then there's also this picture of uh Elijah Wood and fuck. I, I'm I'm so Billy bad. Boyd. Yes. Billy Boyd and 
the guy whose name I definitely know. And or- Orlando Bloom. <laughs> yep. What a Look, fake it, fan, God. I've known Orlando Bloom for a long time, and I just, it has, it's been missing from my head for, like, two weeks now. Like, I've to come... be fair, it's a, to be fair, it's a fucking ludicrous name. It is, it is. But there's a funny, like, candid shot of them together, and he looks ludicrous. He looks like such a fucking, like, soccer hooligan in this picture. He has, like, a bleached blonde, like, baby mohawk, and just looks very... Yeah. It's something. It's it's something. something. Thank you for that moment of levity after the many painful things that just happened. So let's do, let's do our updated horse count. Yeah. Are we not going to talk about Boromir dying? Oh man. We don't, I mean, look, it's. Do you want to talk about it? Here's, here's, here's what I want to say is that when I, I had, I had not really found Boromir particularly compelling in the past. It's been a long time since I've seen the movie, and I don't care about men a lot. Um, and, you know, the kingdom of men, Joey. There were just like, uh, like I was much more like, okay, like when are we gonna see Eowyn? Than like, oh yeah, I'm gonna pay attention to fucking Boromir. That's fair. As as our good friend Tim said recently, more like Boromir. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> but, um, his like. I mean, this whole scene with him is is really compelling, and his death is incredibly tragic, and he dies, like, protecting the hobbits from just, like, so many orcs. Redemption Um, arc. And then... then, Redemption orc. uh, And then Ottergorn sort of saves him right before he's about to, like, be sort of shot point blank um, by the Urukai. And they have a moment that is a extremely gay like there's a forehead kiss right is there is there a forehead kiss yeah there is yeah yeah like well and there's also the the iconic line i would have followed you my brother my captain my king yeah yeah extremely gay um but i also so one of my uh, you know ongoing complaints about the film is the way it paints like Ottergorn's uh reluctance to you know embrace his i don't know heritage or whatever his destiny but i i and i still feel conflicted about that the monarchy yes that is my heritage <laughs> <laughs> but i do like in the movie that sets us up for this moment where Aragorn starts shifting for Boromir's sake, that mm-hmm. like out of sort of loyalty and love for Boromir, he decides to like step up and, and go to Gondor and, you know, and lead. And that's compelling to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and I understand. There, there's a, there's a moment during that where like, like Boromir and Aragorn have been very prickly with each other about the whole Gondor situation. And Aragorn says to Boromir, I will protect our people. And Boromir kind of like gasps and says, our people. Like, yeah. 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 Yeah, That bond bond is very compelling. Yeah. And like takes that on out of like their relationship really. And it's beautiful. And we don't have that scene in the book yet because in no. the book it does not happen until like the first chapter of the two towers. I Mary 
what's interesting about so like that scene is really emotional in and of its own but like i guess mary and pippin do so much of the in the movie do so much of the like emotional lifting for me like that scene always gets me but like what i was really struck by around this time is like the first the first time boromir gets shot there's a cut to mary and pippin who are like throwing stones at these like big armored urukai it's this like kind of close-up of their faces and like you can like their eyes just look so like bright and shocked in their faces and they literally like like mary like drops the stone he had been about to throw and like the horror of the situation is so like clear on their face like that 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 shot really i was just like oh oh no it's a lot it's very good. Yeah, I'm curious to see. I don't really remember how that plays out in the book, so I'm curious to get there. I'm, I'm bummed yeah. that that is kind of split asynchronously mm-hmm. this time. I mean, the way it's paced in the book, I'm glad that Frodo's narrative line stays a little more intact, and that pacing works really yeah. well. And I think it does. It absolutely right. It would have like messed with it to kind of have that Boromir stuff cut in. Mm-hmm. Um, last. Not necessarily last, I guess, kind of my parting movie thought. You know, I'm, like, such a sucker for, like, behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, I'm so interested in kind of, like, the nitty-gritty of, like, how the movies get made and, like, the weird, like, meta stories that arise from, like, making and and acting out these stories and two, like, really significant um, behind-the-scenes moments happen kind of in this last little chunk, which is that Sean Astin has, like, one of the worst onset injuries, like in this scene where he's like running out the boat after Frodo, he, um, I'm not going to speak very graphically about his injury, but he, he gets a big shard of glass through his foot. Oh, yeah. Which is like, you know, like what a weird poignant th- to literally be like chasing after like Frodo and be like injured in the process. And also um, then Viggo Mortensen in like the battle with the big like Orakai captain who he's oh, like yeah, fighting yeah, to yeah. defeat Boromir they have different weights of of prop weaponry. Like, they have some that are made out of heavier, like, real metals and, and sharpened to, um, you know, so they, they look right and look hefty and, like, mm-hmm. closer up shots. And then they have the kind of, like, flimsier LARP-style mm-hmm. weapons. Um, they have, like, the wrong knife on set and, like, flung an actual knife at Viggo Mortensen in that scene where he throws the knife and Viggo Mortensen actually batted it away with the sword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Narrow escapes. Narrow, narrow escapes. Um, any other parting I don't think thoughts? so. I just, the last two notes I wrote, which I've already, like, discussed, but I just want to say the, the wording of what I wrote down. I wrote, Sam knows Frodo! Exclamation point. And then, like, two pages later, that's when he's like, oh, I know what Frodo is doing. Two pages later, Sam, and then in all caps, LOVES Frodo! Three exclamation points. It's <laughs> true. Oh, God, my last note from the movie is, it's the it's the Urukai captain again when they're like being deployed from Isengard. He screams, "You will taste man flesh," and I've written like a little winky face beside it. So that's, I guess, my ending note. What a like melancholy section of the book. Like it is both so sad. And also, like, filled with so many, like, really 
beautiful heartwarming moments of like deeper connection between members of the fellowship and also like I I think it's so interesting in the first section of the book to already have the fellowship be like completely broken in every way it can be by the end of the first act yeah oh it's rough so Kate what was your favorite horse oh yeah my favorite horse out of you know this is this is kind of a tough oh wait hold on do you mean this segment or do you mean like in fellowship are we doing a retrospective i was planning on just in this segment but maybe we should do a retrospective okay let's do segment i'm predicting that this is going to be our longest episode yet despite (laughs) without any horses (laughs) fuck okay okay we'll try and go fast we'll try and go fast favorite horse this segment golem on the log oh that's what i was gonna say damn it's almost like there was nothing to choose from favorite i mean you could have chosen like the nazgul or boromir's lost horse (laughs) yeah rip (laughs) r.i.p do you have any standout like favorites for the 53 horses that we have discrete horses that we've seen in the movie so far cow mushroom bill cow mushroom bill that's great cow and mushroom such an iconic duo yeah i also have loved all the elf horses that we've seen so far like from way back in the beginning, Silver and Noron and Belagrock and Asphaloth and the last four from the Council of Elrond, Rude Labor, Angren, Germanion, and Alata. Good stuff. Fifty three horses. Fifty three horses. Do you wanna let's let's take a let's play a fun guessing game super quickly. Uh-huh. How how many horses do you think we'll see in the next book, The Two Towers? More or less than fifty three? More. Yeah, what's, what's, if you had to guess. I think, I think we're going to see 176 horses. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to say that we're going to see 214. Honestly, I think your guess is better than mine, but... We'll, we'll see. We'll see. That's, there's going to be... That's what I'm going with. Unlike this segment, there's going to be a lot of horses. So many horses. So that brings us to our third vow, which is... Yeah, what's what song do we, we want to do song? today? There were, what, three? three Four. Songs? So Four there's the one that... There's the first... Uh, there's, there's four. There's the one about Nimrodel, the river. Oh, yes, that Legolas song. Right. There's the and one... There's the one that... Frodo. Sam and Frodo say about Gandalf. I'm counting that as one because it's only yes. one verse that's Sam. Yeah. There's uh-huh. the one that Galadriel sings, the, the the first one that she sings, and then she sings another one in Elvish as they're like actually leaving. Oh, I've um, no, um, in my no, notes, I've made a very funny typo. The, the poem that begins when, e- when evening in the Shire was gray, I have written as when evening in the shite was gray. <laughs> uh, you know, evening in the shite, that's... That's where we're, that's where we, that's, we are at, personally. Yeah. Okay, what about, what if we rewrite Galadriel's song, the I Sang of Leaves of Leaves of Gold, to A be, very sad song. It is sad. What if, instead of, because the whole song is sort of about a, a tree, sort of. It's about and a about a boat. Through the... Yeah, I mean, it's about Lorien and, like, seasons passing and leaving through the lens of a tree. Yes. But what if we make it about a horse? I love that. 
That's a novel concept for us. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's do let's do a run through of the poem really fast. Do oh, you want to yeah, start yeah, yeah. and I'll take over and the line that begins there long? I sang of leaves, of leaves of gold, and leaves of gold there grew. Of wind I sang, a wind there came, and in the branches blew. Beyond the sun, beyond the moon, the foam was on the sea, and by the strand of Ilmarin there grew a golden tree. Beneath the stars of ever eve in Eldamar it shone, in Eldamar beside the walls of Elventyrion. There long the golden leaves have grown upon the branching years, while here beyond the sundering seas now fall the elven tears. O Lorien, the winter comes, the bare and leafless day. The leaves are falling in the stream, and the river flows away. O Lorien, too long I have dwelt upon this hither shore, and in a fading crown have twinned the golden Eleanor. But if of ships I now should sing, what ship would come to me? What ship would bear me ever back across so wide a sea? That was, I do have to say, that's twined. Because Eleanor is the flowers, right? And in a fading crown have twined the golden Eleanor. What did I say? Twinned. Oh, uh, (laughs) Look, it's very difficult. It's hard to, like, parse what words mean when you're reading them out loud sometimes yeah and in po i feel like in when i'm reading the poems i'm so nervous about like getting the cadence right yeah that my exactly brain kind of goes staticky yeah and then you don't even know what it's about you're just no you're right though it is sounds. twined yeah so we want so like this line and by the strand of ilmarin there grew a golden tree that should be and by the strand of ilmarin they're like they're grazed a golden steed okay steed or, is not bad or something like that how, I mean, how much how much of horse, the poem but... do you want to do is an important question um at least the first half yeah um i mean historically i know we've only done three so far but historically my transcription has been <laughs> um untrustworthy at best yeah it's look it's a it's a challenge it's a challenge okay so what are we what are we thinking immediately to replace leaves i feel like this should be like coat or mane or something yeah 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 i sang of yeah i what about hair like should it just be i mean because manes are hair i sang of hair of hair of gold and hair of gold there grew yeah mane is like the proper word but like doesn't sit nicely there right because mane isn't like a collective noun the way hair is if that makes sense right okay Um, so let's 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 go with hair or like it could be locks also because like like a forelock you know yeah that's that sounds nicer i sang of locks of locks of of gold gold. yeah and yeah okay that's that's a little nicer of wind a say I sang a wind there was and in the branches blue. That's um, fine. Is it? I mean I like it's I'm wondering if it can be um Well cuz the Im- the imagery it's not really about the wind itself. It's like I'm picturing it as very much as like the interplay between in in the poem leaves and wind, but that works with locks kind of That's, blowing around as well. Yeah, oh wait, okay. A wind there came and in um the forelock blue. And in his mane, it blew. Okay, that that's a good number of syllables. Yeah, 
beyond the sun, beyond the moon, the foam was on the sea. I think that can stand. Of wind, I sing, comma. A wind a there wind. came. What wind there? There's not an E in wind. I am doing poorly. <laughs> and in his mane it blew. Yes. Beyond, beyond the, the sun. sun beyond, beyond the moon. The foam was on the sea. The horses don't like the sea very much. No, I mean the question is like in like in the original song like it's about you know going across the sea, right? And like this the tree and like the seasons changing and the tree are like the the sort of other image and we've replaced the tree with a horse, but do we does the sea need to be something different what about hear me out what about it's not we could kind of go with a weird slanty half rhyme to tree but we could do like the wheat was on the sheaf or something i was just thinking actually about fields or like the i don't know the the gold was on the rye or you know yeah actually wait wait let's do let's do wheat as the final word there and like the the Wheat steed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kind of um, works. The, beyond the sun, beyond the moon, the light was on the wheat. Yeah. And by the We could say the, the light the shone on the wheat. And by the strand of Ilmarin there grazed a golden steed. <laughs> steed. Yeah. <laughs> there grew a golden yeet. <laughs> Oh, God, I've actually written yeet. Fuck. Steed. Fuck. <laughs> oh, my God. Beneath the stars of Elver of Ever Eve and Eldemar shone in Eldemar beside the walls of Elventirion. So it, it there is the golden tree shining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe that's roamed. Beneath the Ooh, stars of Ever that. Eve and Eldemar, it roamed. I love to roam beneath the stars. Oh, yeah. It roamed. Um, should, should we change that to he so that the pronouns are consistent? Oh, yeah. He roamed an Eldemar beside the walls of... El- what is Tyrion here? Do we know what that refers to? No, I'm guessing it's just a, a place. Place. Here, let me, let me double check real quick because I have the dictionary pulled up, I think. Oh, it's a city. Oh, yeah. So we can't... Tyr- it's Tyrion upon Tuna. <laughs> Tyrion, known fully as Tyrion upon Tuna. Wow. Wow. Um, it was from here that Finway ruled where his sons Fenor, Fingolfin, and Finarfin lived. Oh, fucking God, I Fingol, hate Lord of the Rings. The worst. I, the worst? I hate Lord of the Rings. God. Okay. <laughs> I feel like Tyrion could change, but also I don't really want to spend a lot of time trying to find No, it. and it's, it's close enough rhyme-wise that we're fine. I, that's half the poem. I think we're that's good. That's half the poem. Do you want to do you want to give us a recitation? Yeah. Listen, I would love to, but I I uh, lost my opportunity when I said tw- twinned. <laughs> okay. I sang of locks, of locks of gold, and locks of gold there grew. Of wind I sang, a wind there came, and in his mane it blew. Beyond the sun, beyond the moon, the light shone on the wheat. And by the strand of Ilmarin there grazed a golden steed. Yeet! 
<laughs> beneath the stars of ever eve in eldamar he roamed in eldamar beside the walls of elven Tyrion. wow Do, we should publish a poetry chapbook when we're done of all of our <laughs> beautiful horse fucking poetry wow. wow 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 um okay and that brings us to our final vow would you remind our us what vow. that what that vow is we vow to answer the call of gondor when the beacon is lit and let me tell you the beacon has been lit the beacon is lit the beacon is lit we have our very first question i have it here if you want me to read it yeah uh i also have it but but go ahead and and read it please and then i'll uh this is from big fan emma dumpling squid when Um, is the horse birthday for horses in middle earth is Middle-earth in the northern or southern hemisphere, or a third hemisphere in between the two, which according to the googling I just did would actually be called a trent sphere, giving the horses a unique... A what sphere? Triant sphere? I'm guessing it's triant sphere, but I don't know. Triant sphere? Trent. Our friend Trent. Trent sphere. (laughs) Giving the horses a unique Middle-earth horse birthday. So this is inspired by... Um, a tweet that was going around about how professional horse competitive circles, there's kind of a, a universal birthday. All, all horses um, have the same birthday, although it's split between northern and southern hemispheres. In the northern hemisphere, that's January 1st. And in the southern hemisphere, that is August 1st. And yeah, like you were saying, it's it comes from like horse racing... Um, basically, races are divided by, like, age brackets. Most most competitions, like any sort of horse competition past a certain... Mm, for, yeah. for the younger younger horses, yeah, they're divided into age groups, and it's a way to make that, th- the distinction of age a little more clear. Right, because, like, if you have, like, a competition season, and I don't know when these seasons usually run, but if you had, like, a race season or a competition season running from, like, March to August, and you had horses born in like March, April, and May. Um, then if you just count them as like January of that year, then it makes it a lot easier to determine which horses are eligible to compete. I have an argument here. Yeah. I think I can speak with authority on this topic. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is that all horses in Middle Earth are born on National Middle-Earth Horse Girl Day. Mm, I like that. Which is also when we launched our podcast. Happy birthday to all 53 horses we've seen so far. So whatever June 9 is in Middle-Earth calendar. We, I don't, I I have to be totally honest. I don't even want to touch the Middle-Earth calendar with like a 10-foot stick. I'm I'm not expecting us to figure it out. I'm just saying it's, it's Middle Earth, June 9th. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I will say, on the kind of, like, hemisphere front, Tolkien, you know, has various references to, like, hobbits, like, are rarely seen in this day and age and are now shorter. And, like, so he he wrote a, about Middle Earth as if it is, you know... A prehistory. Right. Which means that the Shire is probably in England, which means that it's in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, Oh, I have an alternate theory for you. Yeah. So this is a fantasy book. Right. 
So humans live in the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere equally. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All horses live in the horse's sphere. And Ooh. in the horse's sphere, every day is every fucking horse's birthday. That's oh why horses God. are the way that they are, because all of them are privately celebrating their birthdays every day. Bill had to work on his birthday so much. Oh my God, so much! <laughs> oh no! Bill Poor got Bill, Bill just... got abandoned on his birthday! Always working on his birthday and being abandoned on his birthday and everything oh. on his birthday. Got, he got et by the watcher in the water on his birthday. He, okay, he did not get et. He did not. I mean, in, in the, the animated movie, version, he did. He did but <laughs> it's not on canon. On his birthday! Yeah, okay. Definitely scratch all that other shit we said before. It's yeah. the horse's sphere. Yeah. Every Middle Earth horse it has a birthday every day. Wow. What a treat. Constantly. Well, I think we, we answered the call. We've, oh, yeah. we've done Gondor and our fathers and our father's fathers proud. Absolutely. Thank you for writing in. You can send your own questions in. Please do. Yeah. We will give them as much careful thought and academic weight as we did to this question. If you are just like, man, what is this part of a horse called? Like, how how do I go see a horse? What do I... I, I don't know. I mean, just like any... Any question about horses and or Lord of the Rings, we will Feel free to send us pictures of horses and we'll tell you if that horse is a friend or not. Yeah. Well, like, we welcome it all. We welcome it all. Yeah. And so we're now, we're now officially one third of the way through our journey. Yeah. Horse by horse, there and back, there and back again. Man, I want to ride a horse now. Yeah, uh, same. Um, did you happen to write down what of Two Towers we were going to be reading? We're reading the first, I think, five or six chapters of Two Towers. It's up through, it's up until the battle, the chapter, the Battle of Helm's Deep. Um, so whatever the the chapter, <laughs> flip, Joey, flip through the pages. <laughs> oh, God. Is there not a is there not a chapter index in the front? A table of contents is what that is called and not a chapter index. I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's one, that's two, that's three, that's <laughs> Are you just counting four? chapters? What are you doing? <laughs> I'll I'm do a Google. Find... I'll yeah, do a I Google. Don't, I don't know. I can't see any I don't know when Helm's Deep happens, okay? It's in the chapter called Helm's Deep. Oh, there we go. It was hiding. That's chapter seven. So we're reading the first six chapters of The Two Towers. The sixth chapter is called The King of the Golden Hall. So read through that. And we will put the accompanying time stamp in the episode description. Yes. But start, I'll give you a hint for where it starts. Pop that fresh Bad Boy Extended Edition DVD Disc 1 of 2 in. Hit play. You're good to go. Hit play. We're going to meet Eowyn. We're going to meet Eowyn, who I love. Oh my I'm god. So Have excited. you ever seen Noelle Stevenson's like very, very old um, Lord of the Rings college sketches? Maybe. It's they like what familiar. she first got like Tumblr famous for. Oh, wow. And okay. Eowyn from those sketches was like an early <laughs> yeah let's just say she had an effect on me yeah you know? uh-huh i mean yeah 
Eowyn wow. in the movie was like, wow. Miranda Otto. Damn. Anyways, join us. I'm sorry for, I apologize for the dearth of horses. I am so glad that we were able to talk about Lord of the Rings nonstop for two hours anyways. <laughs> but next time, I promise to you, I swear upon the Beacon of Gondor, there will be more horses. It, you will be overrun by horses. Prepare to be stampeded with horse trivia. Oh, yeah. let's cut it let's 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 cut it let's done stop the recording everyone go home thank you for listening the music you heard at the beginning was horse by horse arranged and performed by us caitlin and joey you can listen to it again at soundcloud.com slash shadowfaxpod the cover art was made by Annie Johnston Glick at Dancy Nuru on Twitter. I'm Caitlin. My pronouns are she, they, and you can follow me on Twitter at Chalo and Behold. You can follow the show at ShadowFactsPod and email your horse-related LOTR questions to ShadowFactsPod at gmail.com. Again, that is ShadowFacts, F-A-C-T-S. Joining me on this journey there and back again is... Joey. My pronouns are they, them, and you can follow me on Twitter at JoeyThePrince. If you want to read and watch along, check the episode description for the segment we'll cover next time. This has been Shadow Facts. One horse to rule them all! Ha 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 ha!